Hey guys, welcome to Startups of the Week Season 2. I'm Natasha and I'm here with Owen. Hey. And Alex. Hey. This week we'll tell you about a small batch craft cannabis company scoring some new green, Crave, a company trying to make vibrators great again, and Chegg, a study platform acquiring another study platform. Hey guys, we're back with Startups of the Week. I'm Natasha Mascarenas here with Owen. Hello. And Alex. Hey guys. So we have a couple cool companies to talk about this week. Our first one is called Flocana. It's a San Francisco company that sells small batch craft marijuana to dispensaries across the state. I'm, I'm kind of curious, what is small batch craft marijuana versus like high quality marijuana? Like what, what does that mean in this context? So I talked to their um, founder, Michael Steinmetz, and he was saying that basically three years ago when they started the company, they found these off the grid farmers in the Emerald Triangle. <laughs> and that's, they, a, that's a region in Northern California yeah. where a lot of marijuana is. Growing. Yeah. So they were saying that these farmers before um, it was legal, they were kind of like, he called them the prohibition farmers and he kind of found them and he grabbed them and they don't um, grow their marijuana inside a facility, which is what makes the small batch and craft. So wait, do they call this shade grown marijuana? Is that a thing? No, I don't know, but I feel like maybe that would, the that would work. The shade of it all. But um, I, I mean, it seems like there's an inherent contradiction here because he's got this new shiny facility, right? Yeah, and, so he opened up a facility he's like, you know, so he's got this big facility but he's helping all the small farmers. So he's kind of like the big guy that's aggregating these small guys together. Yes. Um, this, the company that, um, the facility that Owen is talking about is called the Flow Cannabis Institute. Um, the Flow Cannabis Institute? Yes. I'm sorry, that's amazing. That's amazing. So they recently scored a $22 million round, which is why we're talking about them. Marijuana is like big business these days. Is it? Do people invest in marijuana like openly and happily? Oh yeah, there are marijuana only funds. I mean, there are investors who are seeking out. Any like mainstream ones though? That's a problem though. A lot of uh, mainstream VCs won't invest in what they call vice and that is a category of things like alcohol companies, you know, tobacco companies and whatever. So even stuff that's legal. Even they, stuff that's legal. They just want to stay will, away from it. Which I think is kind of ridiculous because they'll invest in companies that are like going to tear up like 10,000 small businesses but that's perfectly fine but if it involves nicotine or weed you can't do it. I mean it, to me it's a bit ridiculous but if you have a marijuana specific fund or a weed specific fund that can put money in without concern about pissing off other LPs that may not want to have their capital invested in those businesses. Yeah, I mean, I, my other question about this just as an investment is, okay, people are expecting the marijuana market to take off now that it's been legalized in California and many right. other states, but is it going to have the kind of growth profile that a, you know, a, that a software company or an internet company will have? Like, is it that fast? Or is this going to look more like a kind of branded consumer product in the same way that, like, you know, McDonald's in the 60s overtook a lot of like small hamburger restaurants. Right. I feel like what um, Michael was telling me, who I can call on a first name basis, um, he was saying that like. We're, we're going to have a, a problem if you uh, <laughs> go on a first name basis, as, as no, we're going to discuss later. Yes, for later. Um, Foreshadowing people. <laughs> but um, Michael was saying that he thinks cannabis is taking on a new turn. Um, he mentioned like vaping products. So he was like, that's where we're also putting our money toward. This new round, round led by Gotham Green, they're going to start, you know, working towards manufacturing vape pens, dare I say. Well, those are incredibly high margins. So I'll just go ahead and put myself out here as an example. I own a PAX 
Um, which What's is a, a PAX, Alex? PAX is a, I don't know, I think kind of high-end uh, vape. Yeah. It's it's like, they're like they're like a jewel before jewel was cool. They're they're jewel for weed. They're like a bad, or not, I guess not bad guy, but like a hipster. Well, actually, Jewel Labs used to be called PAX Labs. Yes. And they split out. This is a San Francisco company that makes vaping that actually Natasha has read about. I encourage you to re, uh, read her articles about it. Um, but they actually sold the PAX product line and uh, renamed themselves Jewel. Right. And Jewel is what it's all about. J- yeah. Jewel is fantastic. And now Unicorn and raising $1.2 billion at like a $15 billion valuation. They're killing So it. much money. Right. But the, the, the point about the PAX is uh, you buy the little cartridges that go into it. And they're, I, I forget how much they cost, like 50 I was like 40 or 50 sure, yeah. somewhere in there. And I don't know, you'll go through one every X period of time. But I mean, like you're talking about software. And I bet the margins on those pods are incredibly good. Mm-hmm. And they sell you the vaporizer probably at cost. And then they just have you in. Like now that I have a PAX, I'm only going to buy PAX cartridges. And that means they're going to have a consistent revenue stream from me at a high margin. That sounds like a software business today. And so there, there are comps here that make it very attractive. So, but can you be small batch and craft? That's what I, I love. I think it's a really interesting contrast where it's like they're, they're, they brand themselves on being like this craft cannabis company, but they're now going to be making... Well, products. how long did Sam Adams, the beer, claim to be like a craft brew? That until, is also Until true. it was like 25 billion bottles a year. Then they finally said, okay, fine, we're mainstream. And I mean, people will well, ride that well, wagon. Is, there, are like, there are like some, you know, industry accepted definitions of craft beer, but I don't think there's any industry definition of what like craft cannabis really is. Yeah. I, we, we need one. Um, but answering your question from before about how big will the industry get, um, are we? Do we think it's going to be like about hundred percent legit in a couple of years in California? Because I know there's still some non-legit. I didn't know that, and now I do that it wasn't completely okay in California. Well, no, oh, no, no, it is. No, 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 I, I mean, the, I mean the, but isn't there the, some the, counties that are like super against? Well, no. The issue, the issue is, it is, it is legal to sell marijuana in California. Full stop. However, individual retail spots, whether you know dispensaries are legalized, that's up to the local uh, municipality, okay, the so county, or the city. Yeah. So they have to actually license a dispensary. So just like there are dry counties in the South, in states where liquor is legal, it's legal, but you can't buy it anywhere. There we go. So there are, you know, there are cannabis dry areas of California. Well, but that doesn't make it illegal to consume in those areas. Okay. It's just you just can't find anywhere to buy it, which is different from illegal. We should move on, but I, but I think there's a lot of growth left in the business, especially as more states kind of come online uh, with legalization and uh, we end up with a more equitable uh, legal landscape around the United States. For example, if Rhode Island got on this train, I'd be very happy about that. No particular reason, but uh, <laughs> they should really get off their duff and legalize. All right. Well, well that, that would be an act of providence. That would be, that would be oh, providential. No. <laughs> Um, oh no, we, we punned Natasha. <laughs> yes, and we apologize. Um, moving on to another company that is trying to tackle pleasure, but in a different way, I would say, is um, Crave. And you might have seen them at a pride parade. They create discreet vibrators. Um, their focus is basically stepping away from the very, like, I guess, excessive image you have of vibrators in your mind and make them more like modern and design focused. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I have to say, like, when I see a good vibrations, there's one down the street from, this, from the Chronicles. Yeah. I pass it every morning on my way to work. And yeah, like, it's just Hello. like, I kind of just like, ugh, you know, I know that they're, you know, they're trying to get people comfortable with it. But, um, you know, I just, I, do you maybe, find, do maybe you I'm not, just old fashioned. Do you not like good vibrations? 
I think that chain of stores is notoriously like nice. They have really it's just the aesthetic movie. like doesn't work for me. So the, yeah, that's what I think Michael Topolovak. That company's Topolovak. Topolovak. <laughs> um, Michael T. He says that um, he wants to like basically show people who have this idea that vibrators are like this awkward weird thing and show them that it's more it's okay and it's people should be happy about using it i think i saw on the website you can wear one of them as a necklace right they, they almost look like bits of jewelry yeah. and they're taking them around showing them to people actually in some sort of truck and that's yes. what that's what that around, was around the state <laughs> and they went they went to pride in their their truck is yes. that right? and you saw them there yeah i passed them and i remember like grabbing my friends and being like is this it was like my second week in california and i was like is this the thing welcome to san francisco yeah, yeah i was like it was a truly welcome to san francisco moment um it was interesting but it, it, i think it's really cool they've only raised 3.7 million dollars they're not one of these firms that have raised a bajillion dollars and they're trying to take um a relatively large market category even though it's kind of under the under the radar if you will and make it more approachable for everybody that's cool it's a good use of technology and a good use of venture capital and i you know I hope they do well. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I Also, funny thing, I compared them to Jewel when I was talking to the founder because I was like, oh, you're trying to take a product that makes people happy and make it like more sleek and design-focused. And he was like, so we, does, we, he's like, we pleasure people, but we don't kill them. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> not it's, to this, bring back Jewel. This but. is recommended as a business model. Do not kill your customers. Yes. I, I don't know. Philip Morris paid great dividends for a long time, sir. <laughs> The trick Touché. is to kill them Touché. slowly is the, is the solution to that. Yes. On that note, we will go to our last company, which does happy things to people. It, um, it makes them smarter. Yeah. So, um, What's the company? The company is called Study Blue. It's a San Francisco company. It was recently acquired by Chegg, which I'm not sure if you guys are. I'm pretty familiar with using it. Um, it's like an education company that you can go and ask. Like It's like an ask.com, but it's actually helpful. I See, I think of Chegg as mostly textbooks. That's like, exactly that's what I think about it. That's where you rent your textbooks and like get online textbooks. Right. I guess but they've really the day, expanded. Yeah. And that's the generational gap right there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, um, Chegg is public. It's worth $3.2 billion. They could afford this deal. Yes. I mean, they could just like sneeze the money out and like... They acquired Study Blue for $20.8 million, and um, Study Blue themselves had um, $22.4 million in funding. So, so that, that doesn't quite work. If you sell for less than the money you raised, yeah. I think that's bad. Uh, Alex, what is the math on that? Uh, the math is a negative 48% on an ROI basis over a three-year period discounted Ew. course for inflation. No, I made all that <laughs> up. Uh, it's really bad to sell for less than you raised because your last round, which will be a chunk of that total capital you've raised, will be at a higher valuation than the aggregate sum that you've raised. Uh, another example of this from recent uh, days is Domo, a Utah-based uh, prior unicorn um, that went public at a valuation of around $500 million. It had raised, I think, about 700. So it was underwater compared to the capital that it had raised, and it's deteriorated. Um, you want to be able to generate a multiple of value on the capital that you raised. So if I give you $10 million, you want to generate... 30, 50, $100 million in value. That's mm -hmm. how VCs make money. So to sell for less than you raise is just, it's better than dying entirely, to be clear. Okay. Yes. Uh, but it's not not good. So who loses out the most? I mean, is it, you know, do the investors take it on the chin or? Often not. So the way that a lot of investors structure their deals is they have downside protection. So if the company sells for less than a certain dollar amount, they will get automatically issued more shares to make them whole. Who tends to lose in this sort of situation is anyone holding common stock, which would be regular employees 
and also founders. So this, in, That sounds very heads I win, tails you lose. Well, if you have the gold, you make the rules, as the old saying from Aladdin goes. Um, and you know, VCs get to set terms. And now in the current climate, terms are much more founder-friendly because there's more competition in the market uh, in terms of who has money. There's lots of money around. Um, terms are better. During times of, uh, of deprivation, like 2008, 2009, uh, terms get worse. But investors will look for usually downside protection uh, to, to you know, not lose money in this exact situation. I, I'm just envisioning our startup founder listeners Googling the word deprivation to understand its definition. If you don't know that word, what? what? That's a very common word. Depriva- Are you a startup founder if you don't know that word? I didn't say that, but I thought that was a pretty standard <laughs> phrase. No, is, I just right? I, I just don't think they know what deprivation is, Alex. Oh, that's a much better joke than I thought you were making. Okay. Okay. They're, they're, uh, they're summer nights if you are a Game of Thrones fan. Oh. Yes. I'm not a Game of It's okay. okay. Uh, if you didn't get that joke, that's totally okay. We'll be back next week with even more jokes that we hope that you get. Until then, stay cool. Thank you for listening to Startups of the Week. Read more startups coverage at sfchronicle.com. And crunchbase.news. I'm Natasha Mascarenas. I'm Owen Thomas. And I'm Alex Wilhelm. And this is Startups of the Week.